Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Nahmaduhu, and Astainu, and Astafiru, and Uminubihi, and Atawakalo Ali, when I would be lahim in Shururi and Fusina, when Sayatia Malina, Mayahdihila, Fala Mudilla, who are Mayudilu Fala Hadiella, when I shall Allah, Ilaha Illa, who are the Hula Sharikala, when I shall Anna Muhammadan Abduhu or Rasulu, Salawat Robbihi, or Salamu, Alehi, or Allah Alihi, or Ashabi. Beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks in the Holy Quran. Allah says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu ati'u Allah wa ati'u al-Rasool wa uli al-amri minkum fa intanaza'atum fi shay'im farudduhu ila Allah wa al-Rasool in kuntum tu'minuna billahi wal yawm al-akhir thalika khayrun wa ahsanu ta'wila. And the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says in the hadith, which I quoted last week as well, لَتُنْ قَضَلَّ عُرَى الْإِسْلَامِ عُرْوَةً عُرْوَةً فَكُلَّمَا انْتَقَدَتْ عُرْوَةٌ تَشَبَّثَ النَّاسُ بِالَّتِي تَلِيهَا فَأَوَّلُهُنَّ نَقْتًا الْحُكُمُ وَآخِرُهُنَّ الصَّلَةِ أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. Today, inshallah, we will focus on some of the challenges that we are presented with today in terms of our Islam and in terms of how we see our Islam and in terms of the theology of Islam. And I want to tell you what I mean by theology in Islam. The theology of Islam is based on the Quran and the Sunnah. This theology of Islam, these are the two primary revelatory sources of Islam. Then there are two secondary sources of Islam, which is called Qiyas and Ijma'ah. Analogy and consensus of the scholars, namely the Sahaba, anhum. And between the moment I'm standing here in front of you, this moment when I'm speaking to you and relating to you, the Quran and the Hadith of the Nabi Wasallam, this moment stretches back in time to the first revelation of Iqra, Bismi Rabbika, Alladhi Khalaq. If that is not the case, then I'm not true to Islam. Everything that I say and everything that I do has to stretch back to the sources of Islam, namely the Quran and Sunnah. There has to be a connection. When we cut that connection, we are at sea without a rudder, without a captain, without a guide. And our guide is the Quran and Sunnah. So this platform on which I stand is not my platform. I'm not here because it gives me uh, whatever it gives me. No, it is a, one of the, I think, gravest responsibilities that a person undertakes is to spread and to speak the truth, not in terms of the way I see it, as the Arabic saying goes, we are people who do not see the truth by the man, but we judge the man by the truth. And that truth, that haq, وَقُلِ الْحَقُّ بِرَبِّكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa says in Surah Al-Kahf, which is a surah we read on every Friday, الْحَقُّ Allah says to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa say to the Muslims, الْحَقُّ بِرَبِّكُمْ That the truth is from your Lord. There's no other sort of truth. There's no other source of truth. الْحَقُّ مِرَبِّكُمْ very simple, straightforward Arabic. The truth is from your Lord. 
فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنَ And Allah gives you a choice. Allah says, فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنَ And those of you who wish, then believe in the truth. وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرَ And those of you who reject, you're free to do that. So our job, and the job of the, those who speak about Islam, is only to speak what is the truth and to allow others, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does, to allow you to say, well, I accept it or I don't accept it. There are consequences, of course, to that. Consequences in the akhirah and also consequences on the dunya. Now, I look at social media, WhatsApp, and all the other social media. And of course, I look at mainstream media, which is the newspapers that we read. And I look at um, visual media, I look at the television, the news channels, and I listen to the way people speak about Islam. Because we don't speak Islam anymore. We speak about a subject called Islam. And for me, one of the greatest challenges that we face today as Muslims is how do we implement the theology of Islam, the connection with Quran and Sunnah, implement the Quran and Sunnah, and is our adherence to that theology which defines Islam, is that under threat? Have we cut our ties with the Quran and Sunnah? And everything points to that. The social media, the WhatsApp, the things people say, just off the, off, the, off the hat, off the cuff, whatever comes to their mind, they say. And I want to address this today. Our theology is, as I've said in the beginning, inextricably linked to our revelatory sources, the Quran and Sunnah. An alim, an imam, a maulana, a Muslim, when he has to say something about Islam, he has to relate it to the Quran and Sunnah, or he has to shut up. Sorry to use that word. But really, we are, we are really living in very, very dangerous times. And I've said that that legacy stretches right back to the first revelation. And it's an iron chain, can't be broken. It was never broken by the Sahaba, nor the Tabi'een, nor those who came after them, Imam Shafi, Abu Hanifa. They all stuck to that. Everything goes back. Everything can be traced back. Everything goes back to the Tabi'een, the Sahaba, the Quran, the Sunnah, and so forth and so on. There's no new theology around the block. Yes, there are new interpretations of issues of finance and all the other things which is changeable. But there are issues which are non-changed. The Quran you cannot change. If Allah says, You can't say, well, there's another opinion. Allah says, the, the truth is from your Lord. You can't say, well, that's what Allah says. But you know, there's so many people who have got other opinions about this. So, you know, I have a choice whether I want to choose that opinion or some other opinion. Or if I want to not talk about the Quran at all, which we do 99% of the time, we never quote Quran, we never quote Sunnah. So, I believe that in the modern world, this theology of Islam is challenged. It's challenged by something which is called, and I speak now to the university students and maybe also to the, those people who intend to go to university. And I'll talk about that maybe next week. But it has a lot to do with the rise of the social sciences, particularly at universities. 
What are the social sciences? Social sciences are like sociology, psychology, um, that deals with the behavior of men. And many new social sciences have come onto the academic programs. And we have gender rights. We have, at Oxford and in lots of American universities, Islamic feminism. We have Islamic gay rights. These are subjects that get taught at universities. These are the new social sciences. And of course, the old social sciences are always, always, it's always redone and rehashed. But the emphasis in the last 50 years has been to bring Islam into it. Islamic extremism is a subject they study. Jihadism is a subject they study. So at that academic level, these are things that get discussed every day, not only amongst non-Muslim academics, but mainly among so-called Muslim academics, both male and female. And I've been in the academic environment, so I know what I'm talking about. So the question that I ask myself is this. This is the question that I pose to myself. I ask myself the question. Will theology, and I'm talking about theology in general, including Islamic theology, which I want to call the theology of the Quran and Sunnah, would it survive as a relevant functional enterprise? Would it still be there for us to use in the modern world? Is it relevant in the modern world? And if it is relevant in the modern world, then what will that theology be? I ask the question because it seems to me that the, to a large extent, the rise of the social sciences, which of course has to reduce the influence of theology, it means that if you look at social media, that Islam has become whatever Muslims say it is. Islam is not what the Quran says it is. Islam is not what Muhammad has said it is. Neither the Sahaba nor the Tabi'in. Now Islam has become in this age in which we live, whatever Muslims say Islam is, that is Islam. And I'm going to give a few examples later on. So Islam has become what Muslims say Islam is, regardless of our qualified or unqualified or learned or ignorant the person may be. Regardless how much that person may know about Islam, and regardless even of how committed that person is to Islam. So I'll speak to a lady, a lady will speak about Islam who has got nose carved on her head, has a low neckline, has a high skirt line, has got no, no his shoulders are uncovered, and walks around like that in public. Sometimes they professors at universities in Islam, and they look like that. She will have an opinion about Islam. And those in her circle of influence will accept that opinion. Because they say, well, she, you know, she's, she holds a degree in Islamic studies or in feminist, feminist Islam or whatever it may be. And so her, her opinion should be regarded as one of the opinions which we may either accept or not accept. So... How do we then get to know Islam in this modern age? You know, I know how. We either go into the internet, social media, or we take some surveys, we ask our friends, 
what do you think about this and what do you think about that? For example, we ask amongst ourselves at work, you know, in the corporate environment, are you going to the Christmas party this year? You know, should Muslims participate in the Christmas, in the Christmas, Christmas party? And of course, whatever goes with that. Some people say, maybe you can even take a little tot at the Christmas party, you know? So he said, okay, can we do it? So the room says, yeah, what's wrong with it? You know, we all work for this company and this is all about, you know, uh, you know, we're not, see, we're not going to see each other till January, so this is our last get-together, and, you know, whether the place where we go, you know, serves liquor or, you know, doesn't serve halal food, it's okay, everybody else is going, so we go. So that becomes the norm. That becomes the norm. Everybody goes. And that becomes Islam. Well, how does it become Islam? Because we as Muslims have made that decision. And so my daughter works for Emirates as a stewardess. And she serves wine on that airplane to other people. So I asked my family, what do you think of this? Well, you know, women are equal to men today, you know. Employment opportunities there, you know. And she can't find in Cape Town, it's fine. And we say, yeah, we don't hurt our family, so we shut up again. We know that my brother's daughter works first for the airline. We know she serves wine, but I have made my own Islam. I've made my own theology. I disregard it. Or my daughter wants to go to London for a week or two weeks with her friend, other female friend. And you ask, where's your Oh, no, she's gone to Paris. She's gone to London. With who? Oh, she's just gone on her own. And you're okay. Yeah, but I trust my daughter. Not what Allah does. No, got nothing to do with Allah. No, this, Allah is part of it. Allah is a sideline in these models. Allah has got no... Allah's, we tell Allah, you know, you, 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 you sit on your throne, wherever you are, and we make the decisions. And we ask ourselves, why are we afflicted with so many things that afflict us? Why are we so divided as a community? And what do people say? Yeah, but you know, we are divided because this one has got an opinion of this and that one has got an opinion of this. But what about Allah's opinion? What about the opinion of the Quran? Nobody talks about that. So, that has become our Islam. What we see as convenient, what we see as even an elevation. That man with a stewardess working on Emirates Airlines whose, whose daughter serves wine, he thinks very highly of her. More highly of her than the other daughter maybe who's doing something else in Cape Town and doesn't serve wine to strangers. Oh, my daughter works for this airline, for that airline. You're looking at me as if I'm talking, if you're saying, you know, this is my job, unfortunately. My boss tells me I must say this to you. I've got no choice. He tells me to tell you what is in the Quran. If I don't do that, I'm going to get a hiding from him, and I don't want any hiding from him. You can rather look at me and, and hate me and dislike me for what I say, but I say this. So, what all this means is that we've reduced the efficacy, the implementation, and adherence to the Quran and Sunnah Muhammad. And I can really feel now. 1,500 years after the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I feel that when I mention the Qur'an, it's as if I am saying something strange to you. If I quote the Qur'an, it's as if I am saying something strange to you. But if I say to you, social sciences, you say, well, we, we can identify with social sciences. I, I get that feeling. Sometimes I come to the Jum'an and I think, you know, what are you going to do there today? You know, you've been speaking for so many years. People don't want to hear about the Qur'an. Yes, tell them what I still they listen to you. 
Even then they don't listen to you. Somebody phoned me and said, one of my old ex-students, he said to me, oh yeah, Sheikh, you know that lecture you gave on ISIL, you know? I still want to come and talk to you about that lecture you gave on ISIL. I said, why? He said, because you know, I've never heard that opinion before. And of course, you know, I was busy this morning with my khutbah. I wanted to say to him, you know, but you know why it was foreign to you? It was foreign to you because I placed ISIL within the Quran, Sunnah, and the history of Islam. That's why it was foreign to you. If I'd placed it within the White House's spokeswomen and men, and what the White House says, and what the mainstream media says, you would have said, well, that, yeah, we, we know about that. No, we agree, we agree. Oh, terrorist organization. Oh, killers, you know, murderers, rapists, whatever it may be. But as soon as you place it within the Quran and Sunnah, people get a shock. <gasps> because we don't do that. Which we are supposed to do. Is to place it in that arena and make a judgment on that basis. Not know what the media says. We've not been born from the media. Our theology is not media theology. Our theology is Quran and Sunnah. So, it means then that this trend of opinionating and opinion making has put the revelatory sources on the back burner. I'll give an example of what happens in history when this happens. After a thousand years of war between the Catholics and the non-Catholics in Europe, the final outcome was that the Bible would be taken out of the lives of Christians. It will not be relevant anymore. The state will be separated from the church. And there should be no intervention and interference by God in the states. In other words, in the affairs of man. That was the final outcome of the thousand-year battle between the Pope and his subjects. I think we are starting that battle now. But I want to guarantee you that we're not going to have that situation. There will always be people who will take us back to our center. Allah guarantees that. No matter how many of them will be there, that's unimportant. But there will always be Muslims who will always take us back to the center. What is the center? The theology of Islam, the Quran, and Sunnah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa I remember once there was a, a debate amongst Muslim academics in America and Europe and Britain on a subject called atheist Muslims. Not only discussed by Christians, but Muslims also. Everybody participated in the debate. It's probably still an ongoing debate. Atheist Muslims, meaning Muslims who don't believe in God. Man says, I'm a Muslim. <laughs> I don't believe in God. In other words, I don't eat pork. I don't drink wine, but I don't believe in God. I'm a Muslim. And the upshot shot of the discussion was that there seemed to have been consensus that if a Muslim says he's a Muslim, then he's a Muslim, and nobody can object to the fact that he's a Muslim. So if a Muslim, for example, says, I believe in the man upstairs, the manfan bu, la hawla, it's the greatest shirk and kufr that you, statement you can make. 
Muslims say this. I've heard so many Muslims say, Diman Fanbu, La Hawla wa La Quwata illa billah. So far we removed, even from our Tawheed, from our Aqeedah, that we, we put Allah in the frame of a man and we put him in the sky. Or we say, many people say, a Christian asks you to believe in God, you say, I believe there's a higher power. We don't want to use Allah. Or we say, I believe in God, yeah. Which God? The middle one, the first one, or the third one? Or the one, the one, the Ahad that we believe in. The Allah that we believe in. So the upshot was that man is a Muslim, believes in the Manfanbu, or he believes in the higher power. No ways you can say he's not a Muslim. What this will end up is, where this will end is, is that it will empower the masses or masses of people who are exposed to non-Muslim influences to determine the substance of Islam in the modern age. So people who are influenced like we in the minority country here in South Africa, we live today on a day when the majority of our countrymen celebrate Christmas. That's the reality of the country in which we live. I'll speak about Christmas later on. So this is a major challenge. That the masses will determine what Islam is. So there are all these discussions on Mawlud, on the social media. Everybody's got their own what they want to say. The masses are deciding. This is good, that is good, this is good, this is the good, this is beneficial of this. What is beneficial? They've even cut out giving you food nowadays at these places. I mean, for me, that was probably the most beneficial part of it all. Yeah, but you know, we mean we put salawat on the Prophet, my dear brother and sister. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهُ This is not a celebration. Putting salawat on the Prophet is a command from Allah. Not a celebration to be celebrated on a day. Allah commands you. Ya ayyuhalladhi. Oh, you people who put salawat on Muhammad sallallahu So, we try and justify. Nobody says, I mean, I listened to a, to a clip. Somebody sent me about a mufti, Cape Town mufti, who gave a talk on, on Mawlud. And you know, I admired this man. To me, he was a great scholar until I listened to this clip. He doesn't once refer to the Quran and Sunnah when discussing Mawlud. Not a single occasion does he say, this is what Allah says, or this is what Muhammad says. He talks about all the Abu Ta'khid, all the late scholars that came after Imam Shafi, which means 600 years after the Nabi. That's where he starts his argument. And that's where he ends his argument. As if the other Madhahs don't exist, Maliki and Hanbali and, and those who were against Bida'ah and against. No, he doesn't mention them. That's dishonesty. So, again, what and who will determine? what our Islam is going to be. What and who will take us back to our revelatory sources, the Quran and Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu And you can't say, but you know, there are certain things which, which Muhammad sallallahu didn't say anything about, which Allah didn't say anything about, which I must decide. So we've all become little gods. I decide. 
My sheikh decides. My alim decides. Or not even my alim, somebody comes from America, he decides for me. So this is a major, major, major challenge. The determination of what Islam is today in the modern world. So lots of these debates are going on in Muslim circles. And it's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. I uh, received something on, and uh, this person was saying that, uh, I don't know if it's a he or a she, but the argument was that, you know, what's your problem? Don't you know there are two opinions about Mawlud? And don't you respect the people who have another opinion apart from your opinion? Are you so self-righteous to think that your opinion is right and everybody else is wrong? And I, I, I wrote back to her, I said, you know, her, whatever she, he or he. I quoted the verse of the Quran, which I quoted because I thought, well, maybe quoting the verse of the Quran will entail some discussion about the Quran and about the Sunnah of the Nabi Sallallahu and maybe if we do that, we start on that basis, maybe we could come to a, to a, to a, to a, to a conclusion. The verses I quoted, uh, uh, All you people who believe, be obedient to Allah, meaning be obedient to the Quran, listen to the Quran, read the Quran, and be obedient to the Rasul, which means the Sunnah of Muhammad Sallallahu And if you differ in a matter, then refer it back to Imam Shafi and Abu Hanifa. Or your mufti who's in town. Or the mufti who came out of town. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, These are not my words. It must, this is the truth. Allah says, The truth is from your Lord. From your Lord. Then refer it back to Allah and His Messenger. Allah says, that is better for you. And that is the best interpretation. And that will lead to a final conclusion. Allah says so. I respond back, no, but you see, you're still not respecting the other people's opinion. Other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Other than the opinion of Muhammad sallallahu we live in a world where we are told that this is the norm, this is Islam, this is theology. So, the implication of this is that does Allah have the sovereignty to interfere in our lives? Does Allah have the sovereignty to dictate what our moral values should be? Or do we decide on that? I mean, the whole gender debate it's still an ongoing debate in Muslim circles. I thought it would come to a close and that's it. We go to, surah, uh, to, to the people of, uh, uh, that Allah mentioned in the Quran that practiced uh, uh, what they shouldn't have practiced and that would be the end. No, people say, no, no, no. You see, another social science has developed over the last 50 years is that we don't make tafsir of the Quran anymore. What does tafsir mean? Tafsir means to base the interpretation of the Qur'an on the Qur'an and on what the Prophet said and what the Sahaba said. That is tafsir. The modern universities, and I'm not going to mention any names, 
say that all over the world, what we should do with the Quran is we should extricate it and take it out of the Sunnah. We should treat it as we treat any other book. And then we should interpret the Quran. So those of you who read, go to any modern book written on the Quran coming from a Western university. You'll be shocked at the kind of interpretations that come out of it. Why? Because the modern social science around that is that you don't look at the Quran as a revelation. Like any book. Take the book and you dissect it and you interpret it and you write about it. And you use such high English that people will think, wow, this guy is he's really great. So the challenge that we have, the real challenge, is that the modern social sciences are redefining our Islam via our Muslim academics. And those who try and introduce the Quran and Sunnah into this argument, and into these debates, they are called extremists. So Faik is an extremist. He supports ISIL. He does this, he does that, he talks about this and that. Why? Because I talk about what Allah and His Prophet says. What else can I do? I don't have an option. So, we are then the extremists. And this goes for the whole of the Muslim world. The moment a man arises who links his thoughts and his actions to the Quran and the example of Muhammad who was a jihadist. Muhammad was a jihadist. The Quran talks about jihad. So I talk about it. Oh, he's an extremist. Why? Because I talk about what the Quran says. And strive in the path of Allah Haqqa jihadi As you truly should strive in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today the philosophy is a philosophy What I call of multiple truths Everybody is right Everybody is right and everybody has rights But you know, I, I can understand that. But what I don't understand is, why don't you mention Allah and His Prophet also within these people who are right? That's my difficulty that I have. You'll quote Mawlana so-and-so, Sheikh so-and-so, Dr. so-and-so, but when do you quote Allah's word and when do you quote Muhammad's word? After all, they should also be put in amongst all the others who are right and who have rights. Doesn't Allah have rights? It's called Hukukullah, the rights of Allah. And the greatest right of Allah for a Muslim is that he should live his life and talk about Allah's kalam. Khairul kalami, kalamullah, the best words are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have this multiple truth coming out of everybody's mouth. Ah, oh, everybody's right. No, everybody's right. Not, وَقُلِ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ 
Allah doesn't have rights. Allah, doesn't, Allah hasn't got the sovereignty anymore to interfere in our lives. Too far away. 1,500 years in the desert is too long ago. We have to make a new law, new Islam now, determined by new people. So, today, Christmas is being celebrated by our co-countrymen. And we respect them and we greet them and we But we don't celebrate with them. Christmas is not a Muslim celebration. Why is it not a Muslim celebration? I hinted last week and I said that one of the few prophets that Allah had sent is the prophet Isa whose birth and coming again is detailed in the Quran. Allah speaks about his birth. Allah used the word born. He was born. And Allah talks about his death. Allah talks about him in detail. How he was born. How Maryam conceived him. How she gave birth to him. It's all in there. There's not a single reference to the birth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa in the Quran. Nowhere does Allah say he was born and, he's, and, he, and no, no. Or how he was born or how his mother gave birth to him and where he was born. Nothing of that. So if we say that we have to celebrate somebody's birthday, I would say that in terms of our Quranic proof and evidence, we should more so celebrate the birth of Isa than the birth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa But why do we not celebrate the birthday of Isa alayhi wa because Muhammad didn't tell us to celebrate the birthday of Isa. And because he himself also didn't celebrate the birth of Isa. Because he is the final arbiter sent by Allah to interpret the Quran for us. And if we do celebrate, and if we do say, and I mean, I saw this on Twitter, I think. And I thought, you know, is this now the truth or is it false or what it is? That there is a masjid who invited non-Muslims to celebrate Christmas or the birth of Jesus Christ at their masjid. Is it the truth? All right. Let us look at the invitation. We got nice people, we good people, we invite people. <coughs> to our weddings and everything, functions and everything. But you know, the question I ask myself is, which Christian in his right mind would go to a mosque on Christmas Day? I mean, really now, apart from everything else, I mean, really, you invite somebody who you know, it is Christmas for crying out loud. He goes to church on Christmas. It's the only day that he goes to church. You want him to come to the masjid. I mean, are you in your right mind? No matter how weak we are as Muslims, if the pastor should invite us to come to his church on Eid, well, I mean, really, I mean, you know, I mean, where are we going, you know? The Christians, the, the people, Christians who would receive it, they would say, but these people are crazy, these Muslims are, they must be crazy, man. I mean, really, you know? Why? Because, you know why we do that? Because, 
We have no more connection with the Quran and Sunnah. We don't ask, would the Prophet have it? Would the Prophet have done this? Is there some reference to this in the Quran? That we should invite them to our mosques? And the mosque on a Friday is full, and on, on Christmas it's even fuller. So imagine we have another hundred Christians that come to the mosque, both men and women. And they say at the bottom there, dress something, you must dress properly. That's all. properly. We're scraping the barrel to become. No, Allah has, Allah has honored us. We don't need the honor of other people to honor. He's honored us. He's honored man, and then he's honored the Ummah of Muhammad above all other, of all other men. So why do we seek honor by those who dishonor Allah SWT? That on this day, they celebrate the birth of God in man form. That on this day, God became man. Emmanuel, they call it. The spirit became the flesh. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Lam yalid? Didn't we, didn't, didn't they, couldn't they think about that? 500 trustees this mosque has got. Maybe 500 million in the bank. Sorry, that's a bit of a... But didn't they think? What are we asking? We're asking people to come to the house of Allah to celebrate what? The birth of Allah. Because this is what they say. They say, God the Father, God the Son, God the... This is their belief. We respect their belief. But since when do we integrate that belief into our belief? Since when? Again, we love the... You know, many people say, so what's wrong? That's their opinion. And I was sitting and doing the subah, and I thought about, you know, the doctor profession always comes to my mind. You know, as the closest to those who uh, have a very solid scientific foundation for what they do. Of course, everybody makes mistakes. And I was thinking, imagine the doctors come together and say, you know, we've decided that really everybody's right. You can go to some Goma tomorrow, no problem. You can go to some misguided spiritual healer, no problem. And you can come to us as doctors, no problem. They all will give you the same diagnosis and the same medicine, and they're all right. This is what we're doing with Islam. Do you think doctors will do that? No. But did we do it? My sister-in-law was telling me the other day she took a father, late father, to the doctor, a Muslim doctor in town. And uh, the doctor examined him and said that, uh, you, know, you know, your father had a slight stroke and so forth and so on, and prescribed some medicine, and then he said to her, but, you know, Titi, if this medicine doesn't work, take your father to the Kramat. And then you read this, this, and this, and you read this, and this, and this, and then, you know, that will help. Why? Again, why? Again, why? Again, not going to the Quran. Nabi Ibrahim says, Allah SWT says, puts the words in the mouth of Ibrahim. What does Ibrahim say? When I'm sick, Allah heals me. Of course, it's asbab. Sabab is the medicine and the doctor, and you have to do that. But who ultimately heals? The healing is Allah SWT. 
And the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, dawa. For every illness, there is a cure, there is medicine for it. And what do we say? The doctor himself, he's a doctor. But he knows nothing about the Quran. Nor the Sunnah of Muhammad. So it's important for us to understand this challenge that we have today. Then somebody said, <coughs> I read somewhere, I think, that uh, just to give you the other side of the coin when it comes to medicine and to belief, the 70 year old man went to the doctor. He, had, he couldn't pass water. Doctor referred him to the hospital, doctor performed an operation, mashallah. The operation was successful and he could easily go to the bathroom and he could pass water. And then the doctor called him in to his office and gave him the bill. And when the doctor gave him the bill, this old man started crying. So the doctor said to him, why are you crying, you know? Is it because of the bill? We can all make an arrangement, you can pay it off, you know, I can reduce the bill for you, whatever. He says, no, I'm not crying because of the bill. I'm crying because for 70 years, Allah never sent me a bill. <laughs> for 70 years, I could pass water and Allah never sent me a bill. So, I'm grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the 70 years that he's given me that facility to pass water. And that is Iman speaking. That is referring back everything to Allah and his messenger Muhammad That is true faith. I would have cried because maybe the bill was high. <laughs> and I would have pleaded, maybe, you know, I'm, a, I'm just an imam, you know, some, some discount. No? This man's word reflected was what was in, the, in his heart. So, these are major challenges that we face in the world. And this challenge of Quran and Sunnah is being molded on a daily, minute by minute basis by the West. I mean, this word jihad is something new. We were just all terrorists, extremists. Now we've become, they've now linked the word which is used in the Quran to extremism, death, destruction, and war. in order to brainwash Muslims not to use the word jihad anymore. Jihad has become a swear word now. People who make jihad are called jihadists by the West. Those who pray five times a day and wear a beard, they're extremists. Those women who wear hijab, they're extremists. So in America now, the women are taking off their hijab. Because they fear the backlash. Our Islam is being molded by other than Muslims. Our Islam is being guided by other than Muslims. We must be careful of this. And one of the things we need to tell our children who go to universities, that this is the kind of challenge that they will face there. 
And we as a community need to educate our young people not how to rise to that challenge, but on the fundamentals of Islam. That's what we, that's we, that, that's what we don't have. We don't, ha- we don't have classes to talk to us about our connection with the, with the word of Allah. So sometimes when people ask us questions, we give answers that are more harmful and more dangerous than keeping quiet in order to justify our faith and our belief. And parents are to blame for this. Fathers are to blame for this, particularly. Because when Allah talks about education in the Quran, it never refers to the mother, it always refers to the father. The responsibility of educating the children are always the responsibility. Why not the mother? Because the mother is 24-7 with the children. Education is a particular function. It's a particular enterprise. And that enterprise and that function, Allah was found placed on the shoulders of Nabi Hu. As an example in the Quran. Which Nabi spoke to his son? Luqman, Luqman, that is the example of fatherly duty and responsibility carried out to its most beautiful, in its most beautiful form. So may Allah SWT inshallah keep us close to the Quran and Sunnah. Maybe when we speak about Islam, then the first thing we will say is to our brother or sister, what does Allah say? Even if I don't know what Allah says, I should ask the brother and sister, okay, so you've asked me this question, I don't know the answer, brother. I don't know the answer. But what do you think Allah says? Or what does Allah say? Or we should say, brother, you've not asked me about this question. What does the Prophet say? And if we can't find an answer there, we should keep quiet until we first find an answer there. And if we don't find an answer, we go to our alim, our mawlana, our sheikh, say, what does Allah say, sheikh? What does Muhammad say? Not, this is the question, what is the answer? No. What does Allah say? Mada qala Allahu ta'ala. Because Allah says, continues in the Quran, qala Allah, qala Allah. Allah says, Allah says. So may Allah guide us, guide our children. May Allah protect this ummah, inshallah. May Allah give that we always keep our connection with the Quran and Sunnah. Very important. Very important for our salvation. Wallahu ta'ala alam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.